Hello and welcome to another episode of At Night with Vaughn. Tonight's guest is CK, or the Cussing Kentuckian. He's here tonight to tell us about his strange and fascinating encounters with creatures that have been named dogmen worldwide. CK began researching dogmen after his encounters in a hope of explaining what it was he saw. I'll include all his links in the podcast description so you can go check out his YouTube channel. This podcast comes out every Monday on all platforms and then again on a Friday for the YouTube. So without wasting any more time, let's just dive right in and listen to the interview. Hi everyone. I guess everyone can call me the Cussing Kentuckian, or CK for short. I was asked to come on to share my dogman encounters and some of my research. I do have a YouTube channel and a Discord server that goes under the Dogman Report if people want to join. And I also have been doing some research since I learned what my encounter actually was and had subsequent encounters. I guess I'll go ahead and get into my first encounter. This took place in the middle of October, I'm not sure the exact date, of 2013. I know we were having a federal government shutdown at the time that I thought was going to interfere with the time that I had penciled myself in for to take this backpacking trip, which was supposed to be two nights, about 20-25 miles. But this was in Kentucky, where I'm from, obviously, because of my name. But I had taken this trip at Mammoth Cave National Park and had reserved my campsites. The first night I got to the site, no problem. Had a little bit of a problem getting dry firewood because of rains we had had before. But eventually I found enough. Got a fire going about dark. A few hours later, after eating my supper, I started hearing cows in the distance because on the edge of this park there are a lot of cattle farms and there are a lot of horse stables that people use horses recreationally through there but you would hear these cows maybe a half mile off and then a little bit closer you would hear a bunch of horses start to whinny and whine I thought nothing of it because there are a lot of coyotes in that area maybe it could have been a black bear who knows but as I start winding down trying to keep this fire going about an hour or so later top the ridge at that campsite I hear leaves crunching still didn't think anything of it but as it got closer maybe within 150 100 feet it had a really odd sound to it it wasn't like a deer dragging leaves along the forest floor it was more of a crunch 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 and it didn't take long for me to think, okay, this is something on two legs. I thought, maybe a Sasquatch, because at the time I had no idea what a dog man is. But it kept getting closer and coming down the hillside where it crossed the trail that I took to get to that backcountry site. That was my way out. And I was an ultralight backpacker at the time. You try to save every ounce possible. So the only flashlight I had my cell phone. Horrible idea now that I think back on it, because I did drain the battery trying to see the thing. 
but it stayed far enough away out of the firelight and out of the reach of the beam of my cell phone that I didn't see any eye shine. I didn't even hear any breathing. It's just when I would look away, I would hear another crunch, 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 crunch. And this lasted for maybe 30, 45 minutes. I was just sitting by that fire trying to keep it fanned up. Whatever it was, I didn't want it getting any closer. And the only protection I had was a little pocket knife and that fire. But eventually, it went away. And that was a pretty sleepless night for me. Finally, about dawn, when the birds started chirping, I got a little bit of sleep. Not even an hour. But it was enough for me to pack my stuff up. Because, like I said, I had another night of that trip planned. I thought, well, maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't, but it is time to pack up and get back on the trail. But when I got to the junction where the trail splits off, there's a little sign that says, get water now, because there's a creek, and if you're going the opposite direction I was going, you would not have water for at least eight miles. But I was going the other way, and I stopped to filter out some water and refill my water bottles. And I look down in the mud and there's this print. It's a canine print. But the best way I can describe it, it was just way bigger than any canine print I've ever seen. And I know it's canine because you have the claw marks. In a big cat print, they retract their claws so you don't see them. So I was like, well, that's a big dog pulled out a couple of packs of cigarettes and put them in the foot pad. It absolutely consumed those cigarette packs with maybe a half inch on each side. It was left to give. But the toe pads, there were only three of them. I don't know if it was just a partial print. If some of it might have been washed away because it was right next to the creek. I was like, all right things heading in the direction I'm supposed to. I'm going back to my truck and I'm going home. And for the longest time, I didn't know what it was. I used to go solo backpacking at least a couple of times a year. I'd always be by myself, take as little as possible. Never had any fear of the forest. I'd spent my whole life stomping around in it. But after that, I just have not gone into the woods by myself at least more than few hundred feet, and definitely not in that area of Mammoth Cave National Park. But it took until 2015 when I stumbled upon reports of what people call Dogman. And it got me thinking, you know, that kind of sounds like what I ran across. It was a canine print. It was on two legs. So I got in touch, actually, with the kind of Dogman encounters. I had a lot of questions and his format is more you know he tries to help people with encounters and then I got in touch with another researcher and both of them agreed yeah, it was probably a dogman just by the size of the print the behavior the fact that it was on two legs because this thing sounded absolutely massive and for the longest time I thought well maybe I'm just going insane water had washed through the print, but it was still clear as day. It wasn't distorted and muddy. 
was a very clear print. I mean, just ever since then, I do still go into the woods. I'm a fisherman. I do go kayak fishing by myself in a lot of creeks and rivers around here. But you have to keep your head on a swivel. I know that now, and I always do. And if I feel uncomfortable in a situation, I leave. But that's my first encounter. I do have a few more. Get into those as we go along, won't we? We will, yeah. <clears throat> it's a pretty interesting story, especially since you managed to find the print. And like I was explaining to you earlier, I've only really known about dogmen for maybe the past couple of years, and I stumbled upon them by accident, just by simply going through YouTube videos. Um, so. It must have been like really strange for yourself when you see this print and you know that it's not made by any sort of like dog or anything like that or any other animal that could be in that forest and yet it's right there in front of you and it's so big and for the longest time you don't actually know what it is. Yeah, because it took a good two years for me to just stumble across it kind of like you did. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I saw. And after listening to a bunch of encounters, there was a behavior pattern that I saw that was kind of similar too. Where, I mean, if this is an upright canine creature that's eight, 10, some people even report them up to 14 feet tall. Mm -hmm. If it wanted to have me, what could I have done? I mean, I'm not a big guy. I'm six foot at the time I was not even 200 pounds of course I'm a little heavier now because of course I don't get outdoors as much for obvious reasons but if I know there are some incidents of people being attacked by them but most encounters I wouldn't say they're peaceful but they're not necessarily aggressive either although there are those exceptions yeah I mean like we were saying before I think most of them get a bit curious, especially like if you're in an area that they would like consider either the path they're going to take or the place that they're maybe spending the night and you're somehow in their space. <clears throat> Most of the people that I listen to that have had encounters, they've mostly just scared the person enough to make them leave the area. Um, I haven't heard too many stories where people have been physically attacked, but like I was saying before, I have heard encounters where they have like chased people and they have even ran after the people even when they get to their trucks. Um, so I think sometimes they can just be a little bit territorial. I think, like I was saying before, I think they, they must just sort of be a bit more like humanistic that way. You might get a placid one or you might get an angry one. I think it just depends on what type of dogman it is, but it seems like that one was just like sort of scoping you out, checking you out, hanging about in the shadows. But the scary thing is, it was clever enough to stay out of the light so you couldn't see it. Yeah, of course, the little campfire I had, it's concept, I guess, that they call the red man's fire, which is just a small fire to conserve your wood through the night, as compared to what they call a white man's fire, which a lot of times is just a bonfire. You're wasting and burning through as much wood as you can. 
backpack and you do try to conserve your wood because by the time you get to your campsite a lot of times you don't have time to find it so you're really just trying to conserve it and i would always keep a they call it i guess it's dryer duct insulation but it was just this roll and i would use it as my sleeping pad because it reflects something like 90 percent of heat back into you yeah and it was really light but i was using it as a seat pad and also as a way to fan the flame up and i was trying to get it as bright as possible didn't see any eye shine then and then those cell phone flashlight apps back in 2013 were awful and even now they don't throw much light but yeah i never saw eye shine i would later so <clears throat> that night that night where it was sort of just like staying on the outskirts of the little camp you'd made for yourself, at any point did you think it was maybe like a person that was there or because obviously you didn't find the print till the next day when you decided to move on so did you think it could have maybe been a person um, I considered that but it was cloudy and overcast that night you couldn't see an inch in front of your face unless you had some kind of light source Yeah, so if it was a person, it most likely would have had to come from another camp, and you probably would have seen other people camping. Well, there were no other camps around there for at least a mile. The specific backcountry site is called Sal Hollow. There are a few backcountry sites that are within a few hundred feet of each other in that part, but that one is kind of off on its own. Right. And as well, I've heard a lot of encounters where people were able to, to smell something? Did you have anything like that? Or was it literally just, you could hear it walking, you knew it was something quite big by the the noise it was making as it walked, but did you get any other sort of like, typical, you know, like people have reported that they smell like rotten meat or things like that? Did you get any of that that night? No, I didn't smell anything. I didn't even hear anything breathing. It was just the really heavy footsteps. And they, like I said, it wasn't like a deer that would drag the leaves. It was just stomping right on top of them. Yep, it was clear up and down stomps. Two at a time. That's why I'm like, okay, it's on two legs. The thought did run through my mind. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a Sasquatch. I didn't believe in those at the time either. But after doing my research and looking into those as well, yeah, I believe in them. I've never seen a Sasquatch myself, but that crossed my mind before, you know, upright walking dog thing. It wasn't until I saw that print that I kind of put two and two together in my head and thought, I don't know what it is, but I'm out. I'm leaving. It must have been strange because you see this print that's that big and you can't actually put an, an animal to what could have done that so it's, it would have just your mind would have just wandered all different directions going what could have actually done this and this scarier thing was it was there that night with you and you couldn't even see it yeah because the largest canines we have in this area there was actually a county north of where i live they actually have a bunch of coyotes and things like that of course we have them here too but it's a really bad problem up there and not far from mammoth cave national park actually the first wolf reported in kentucky for 
I don't know how many years, it's close to a century at least. But we had our first actual recorded wolf in Kentucky because someone shot it. But it wasn't nearly large enough because I looked at the pictures of it and looked at the paws on it. There's no way that just a regular wolf could have made that print either. A coyote couldn't have done it. I've never seen a dog large enough to make a print like that. Even if they could, like you said, you could tell clearly it was it was bipedal and it was walking on two legs. So even if it was like a big wolf or a big dog, you'd be able to tell straight away because they use all four legs at the same time. So I think that kind of just rules them out as well. The fact that you knew it was walking on two legs, which is even scarier. Right. And I've always had big dogs all through my life. When they're walking through leaves... It's a very different sound from what I heard that night. So how did that then lead on to your second encounter? Well, my second encounter, it happened after I learned this basically animal is, because that's what I believe dogmen are. I don't discount paranormal explanations for them, as we talked about. Believe they're animalistic if anything mm-hmm. but I'd gotten in touch with some researchers started kind of absorbing every encounter I could and I noticed there's a lot of these in Kentucky and I had flirted with the idea of trying to map it never really wanted to but I'd actually moved and this place we moved into it wasn't an isolated area at all. It was actually a duplex because we were downsizing, trying to save up to buy the house we live in now. Mm-hmm. But it was in a rural area. But one night I walked out and it put it out of my mind. Didn't think something like that would show up there. But one night I walked outside to smoke and I just heard this howl that it's hard to describe it. I hear people say it rattles your lungs and rattles your chest, but you almost felt this howl on the ground. And it was just a rumble. And I thought, well, that, okay, I'm going back inside. A couple of nights later, of course, I was smoking out on the porch again. And I'm a night owl. I'm up usually until dawn most of the time. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden... I see what I think is a coyote walking up to the fence row that's across the road, maybe about 100 feet away. And it walks to the very edge. It looks at me for a while. And we've got a 100-watt bulb on the porch, so that casts light a lot further than that little cell phone flashlight I had. Yep. But it stood up on both legs. It wasn't propped up against a fence post or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It just went erect. And then we lived next to a major highway, and a semi was coming down, and you could see the light behind it. It's a very canine figure, kind of scrawny, maybe about six feet tall. But what really made me pause was the eye shot. And it was that, you know, car blinker, yellow amber color. Right. It, like, it just, it felt like it was looking right into my soul. 
and it just stood there. I just thought, alright. Yeah, that's what made that howl. I'm going back in the house again. And I don't want to say I developed a relationship with this thing because I never interacted with it. <laughs> Didn't want to. Mm -hmm. But for a period of a few weeks, I think this was in May of 2017. I would see it, not every night, but maybe every two or three nights. And it would always go back to that same spot, and it would just watch. If a vehicle came down the road, it would disappear. Not like, gone, but it would just walk off, and then it would come back after the vehicles passed by. It's really strange. Yeah, it never... Stayed across the road for the most part, except for one night when I'd actually walk back behind this house. And there were other duplexes. There were duplexes on each side. There was a house across the road. It was right next to that fence post where it would always stand. And I walked back there one night. And I'm just about to round the corner and I hear something running from one end of from the far end of the building over towards me. Luckily, there was a little side porch. I was back inside the house within uh, six seconds. But it also sounded bipedal. It was a lot softer because it was in mowed grass. But, I mean, you would have things. You would hear something beating on the wall. It was vinyl siding. Me and my wife would both wake up. Usually right before dawn is when it would happen. What's that? And I would ask the neighbors, like, yeah, I heard the pounding too. I thought it was you. Like, no, it wasn't me. I just wanted to see if you heard it. I never asked them about it. Because nobody else, I guess I, there were other smokers in that little area, but they smoked inside. I was the only one who didn't. Because we had an infant daughter at the time. And, like, yeah, I'm not going to smoke around the kid. Especially not in the house. Mm hmm. For four or five weeks, I would say, it would just show up every two or three nights. And it would just watch and observe. Makes me wonder if it was maybe like um, a young one. Do you know, like a juvenile? Maybe just, really? maybe just curious as to like how people behave because. You know, you, you've said yourself, like, some people report them being up to, like, 12, 13 feet tall, and if this one's, like, maybe six foot and a bit scrawny, it's maybe, it could maybe have been a juvenile, and it was just curious as to, like, what people were doing. Do you think maybe that could have been why it would just stand and watch? That's what I lean to as well. The only time that it almost messed up and got spotted in full broad light there was this truck that was just absolutely flying down the road and I guess it just didn't have time to walk away or it got reckless but it almost curled up into a ball and it was just this deep chestnut brown fur I know a lot of people say you know it's got the colors of a timber wolf or they're gray or black mm -hmm. but I mean this one was like Hershey bar brown I did get to see the fur. It did look a bit matted in places. But it was literally for maybe one or two seconds. 
but I got a clear view of it, but it had balled up. So even the person driving by would have no idea what it was. So instead of moving out the way, it just sort of curled up in fear, maybe thinking it was going to get hit or something? No, because it was still behind the fence. I think it just didn't want to be seen for what it was. Ah, right, right. It's a bit strange, that one. Um, makes you wonder if it, if it maybe wasn't a juvenile, maybe it was just a lone one, because I, ass I assume most people think they maybe exist in packs, there's always a good couple of them um, travel together or whatever. It could maybe be this one was ostracised or something, if it was maybe just a bit thin because it wasn't able to hunt as well by itself, or if it's maybe just been left to fend for itself, and it's just... I just find it strange that it would come back to the same area all the time and just like watch and then I ha well it only stuck around for a month month and a half maybe and then i didn't see it again until the next october right and so it came back yeah and then it disappeared and this is right before we were moving out and it made a return and i was happy to get out of there I would always just keep an eye over my shoulder. Like if I had to take the garbage can to the road, really nervous because that was within 50 feet of where it would stand. Yep. And they're, just, and they're fast. <laughs> I would not, if the garbage can didn't get taken out before dark, it was waiting until the next week. And you were saying you thought it was knocking on the walls and stuff like that. I've heard lots of people say that in the past where they'll, they'll try and tease the family, maybe try and scare them, you know, they'll knock on the doors or try the handles or they'll bang on the walls during the night from the outside. So you think that's what it was doing when you were sleeping as well? Didn't doing it to your neighbours or was it just your house or did they do it to the neighbours as well? The only person who I know heard that knocking was a person on the other half of the duplex and of course I never went in detail about what I thought it was of course she thought it was me mm -hmm. I was like no it wasn't me did, did you see or hear anything else I said no I didn't but it was that only happened a couple of times but it was always right before dawn like when you would first start to hear birds yeah, it's definitely a strange one, especially if it just came and observed and never... From observing, I, I, like I said, I'm a night owl. I go to sleep, sometimes at dawn. But it almost felt like it was just studying me, kind of learning my habits. Because I guess it saw all these other units and it was like, well, hey, I can sneak up and watch this guy. <laughs> He's the only one awake. <laughs> He's the only one who comes out every hour to put this thing in his mouth and give him some cancer, <laughs> I guess. But. Yeah, it could have very well just been watching you. Like I say, it could have been a juvenile and it's maybe its first time around people, I guess. And it's it's just curious as to like what these other creatures are that are in the same space that it's in. And you were there every night, like clockwork, and it just maybe thought, well, I'll just go and watch this guy, see what he gets up to. Well, during that first batch of encounters with it, 
was coming, I'd actually come back from the grocery store a different way because there had been a wreck. And it was after dark, and I saw that same eye shine in the headlights of my truck in the weed line. Couldn't see anything else. But it almost looked like, looked like those roadside reflectors, but there never had been any there before. And that same bright amber turn signal blinker color. So I've heard had come home late one night she saw I found like that so do you think it was actual reflecting the light because I've heard some people say that the eyes are self illuminated or do you think that's just its natural eye colour and it, it looks like it's glowing because obviously light's hitting off it well when I would turn on the light if it was there you'd suddenly see that yellow light very first encounter at Mammoth Cave National Park if the eyes were self-illuminated I mean I definitely would have seen something then too true yeah I've heard people describe their eye color sort of like looking through um, Corona beer it's not the greenish chartreuse kind of eye shine you see it from a cat it's just a very <laughs> A golden yellow. I guess the closest color I can describe it is school bus yellow. Right. There's just a hint of orange to it. Strange. It must mean that's their natural eye color during the day as well, because it's obviously your eyes must just reflect what color you have. I've never seen one during the day, thankfully. It's, but the weirdest thing, like, during that period of encounters in May, like I said, there were no animals, not even birds. If roadkill, of course, roadkill would stay on that road for days normally. But it would disappear first night without fail while that was going on. And then that started again that October that's what really got me to start paying attention again and getting nervous and sure enough within a few nights of all the roadkill disappearing it came back yeah it does make you wonder if they have sort of migration routes all the roadkill is obviously easy food for them they don't have to hunt it and if you're used to seeing dead animals on the side of the road for a good few days before another predator comes along and claims it and all of a sudden the roads are spotless and clean and you're not seeing any game running around it's obviously this thing is either scaring them away or hunting them itself well i couldn't tell you if it was just predation they were wiping everything out or everything was smart enough to just leave but you would always see deer in the field behind the house except for those periods when it was around you would never see them those two periods. So did you ever manage to make out any features of its face or anything like that? Or was it too dark you could just see its eyes reflecting the light? That first time that I saw it rise up, I did see the ears. They were longer than I expected of anything. I mean, they were almost like German Shepherd ears. A little bit longer. They had these little tufts that you could just barely make out. Mm -hmm. I always 
I could see those, but the light was actually shining through them. Right. But you would see the silhouette and just these little jumps kind of glowing from the headlights of that semi. And I did manage to get a very blurry picture of it. It's it was one of those things I had to go in because. I saw it there, and I just had to start snapping pictures with my phone. And the oddest thing about it, the head was absolutely massive compared to the rest of the body. Which, I don't know if you know about the type 1, 2, 3, and 4 dog mount. Yeah. But it had the body shape of a type 1, but the type 4s are exactly that, except they have a gigantic head. But they're usually a lot bigger. Yeah, they're the ones that have been described, like they've basically not got very much of a neck and the head's almost as wide as the shoulders sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know how to explain that bit of it. Because it doesn't quite match up to everything in the descriptions, but it matches the Type 4 and everything but the height and the size. Yeah, very well could have been a juvenile then. Maybe still had yeah, some I growing to do. I have, I'm not going to make assumptions about it. Like I said, I'm a researcher. I collect other people's encounters too and try to vet them as best I can, which is hard to do. Because, I mean, they are being collected online for the most part, unless I talk to someone in person. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're all on the internet. Surely nobody would ever go and lie on the internet. That never happens, right? Oh, of course not. <laughs> I see something that's obviously just crap or it's way too out there I don't put it on that map I'm working on but I guess it's a trust but verify kind of thing yeah I suppose it would be a hard thing to verify because there's, there's not actually any handbook out there written on it so you've just got to I suppose go on your gut instinct and think back to other encounters you've heard and do like the same sort of similar things keep coming up and repeating themselves so yeah it would be quite a difficult job to figure out whether someone's just making up stories for attention or if they actually did have an encounter and you can generally tell because there's a show I don't know you're from Scotland correct? yeah but there's a show over here in the United States is on the History Channel I forget the name of it Quest. That's what it was. But they had an episode of a creature that was kind of the same. And of course, they put people through polygraph tests and all that. Of course, they would come back correct. But there was one guy in particular, he just saw one as he was driving down the road. And it was kind of a small one like mine. What they showed wasn't what I would say this one looked like. But he said it just looked at him. And they were interviewing the guy at his house and he had done all this art and figures of them. And I'm like, you know, if you see something like that and you're lying about it, you're not gonna basically devote your life to making part of the thing. Yeah, and especially being able to make sculptures of it, he must have seen something physically to, to then remodel his art and his sculptures on what he's actually seen physically. Yeah, because just looking at it, I'll like, you know, this is a guy who was affected by that experience. 
you don't go to those lengths, and that's the common thread I've seen. And those are the encounters that I find especially believable, or when they just deeply affect a person. Yeah, look. I mean, it's we got together at first on Reddit. And I'm like we've talked about before. I'm kind of of encounters on that platform because I guess people want to write a creepy poster or whatever to entertain themselves. Yeah. And then they just disappear. And you never hear that encounter again. Those I'm far more skeptical of. Well, you can be anyone online, I suppose, and I suppose that's a downfall of being online. You can choose to be whoever you want and it's quite hard to prove otherwise, so you will get people out there that are just looking for their 15 minutes of fame or, you know, they'll just write a story because it'll maybe get comments flowing and they'll get likes and it'll, it'll sort of like pad their ego sort of thing. So, like we were saying before, it will be difficult to, to verify whether someone is genuinely telling the truth. But like you say, someone's going out their way to make all this art over what they've seen and sculptures. You can tell it's deeply affected them. They're not just going to go and do that for the sheer fun of it and just for like a small segment on a TV show. Right. And the people that I've talked to on the research end, like the people who really dive into it, they had their first encounter and after that, it, I won't say it becomes their lives, but kind of like me, it, I don't want to say hobby, but it's something you keep up with over long term. It's, like I said, that mapping project, I started it in 2017. When I see an encounter or hear of one that's believable, I add it to it. And it's just something I've kind of been working on over the years, just as more data comes in, which now there's a flood of it, which has me really skeptical. Because you can hear a new encounter pretty much every day if you never get off of YouTube. Yeah. And I'm losing, I'm like, eh. Some of them are really outlandish. Like, eh. I'm not going to, you know, publicly say the full comments, but. And places like that, I tend not to take those encounters too seriously unless I hear some kind of detail that really matches. I mean, the ones that I strongly tend to resonate with are the people that have kept it a secret for like 20 years, 30 years. And, you know, it's taken them this long to build up the courage to actually openly speak about it. And like you never knew what that caused that footprint for two years, some of these people have never known what it was for like 20 years because they've just not been on the internet, they've not researched. Maybe their encounter happened when the internet wasn't even really around back then. Yeah, but then I didn't even tell my wife about that first encounter until, like I said, 2015 when I talked to other researchers. I didn't know what it was. She always wondered why I quit going backpacking. But after, I guess I'll call it a sense of closure, I knew what it was. Or at least had a pretty good idea of what it was. I finally like, yeah, so you know how I haven't gone backpacking? Yeah, I've been talking to people. Uh, here's why. I mean, the fact that that affected you so much and you hadn't even seen one yet, you had just heard one, 
seen the footprint and thought, oh my goodness, what on earth could have caused that? And that was just enough straight away to to deter you from going on your solo backpacking. That, that obviously shows that somewhere in your mind it's affected you quite badly. Yeah, because I still have all that gear. I'm not going to use it, honestly. <laughs> if someone said, hey, can I have that backpack? Sure, take it. I'm never going to use it again. But it's... <laughs> Like I said, I will go fishing, but I don't go too far into the wilderness to do it. And usually it's in hip waders. So, you know, I get into some pretty rough areas. I always, I mean, I always watch the bank, watch the tree line. I listen for anything. If I hear something rustling, yeah, I stop what I'm doing and just stay still until I see, okay, well, it's a deer or a branch fell. I think I've heard quite a lot of people say as well that when one of them's around it's like even all the crickets and everything just stop and it's just like a dead eerie silence, you don't hear any birds, you don't hear any crickets, you don't hear any insects. Mm -hmm. um, I think yeah. that would, and do you know the funny thing is if you weren't aware of that you probably wouldn't notice it, you probably wouldn't even realise that nature all around you is just suddenly going quiet. If you weren't there to know what to look out for I think that would probably bypass most people because they'd be either chatting to each other, fishing, you know, they wouldn't really notice what's going on round about them, but because you've had these encounters, it's always going to be like at the forefront of your mind. Like, where's, where's nature went? It's just suddenly went quiet. Or what was that branch snapping over in the tree line? It's just a constant, like, state of alertness that you've now got because of what's happened to you. Yeah, there's about that like with that first encounter it was october you don't hear a lot of animals in october here in kentucky it's getting down to 40 degrees at night the insects are all shutting up so yeah it was really quiet then but i was also hyper focused on that thing it was maybe 50 feet to my right at most mm -hmm. and then of course during those fishing trips it's usually increasing streams so, you know, you're always going to have sound from run, running water. It's not going to shut up like everything else, but I've had a few occasions where, like, all right, everything but the water is quiet. It's time to start going back upstream to my truck. Yep. <laughs> but I don't know if other predators would cause that as well, because... I mean, we do have reports of mountain lions, and there are black bears here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. In my we have sightings every year of black bears. But the Department of Fish and Wildlife here swears up and down there are no mountain lions in Kentucky. But plenty of people have seen them. In fact, my father's seen one off the back of his houseboat. And actually, that first little preamble video I've uploaded before I do my first official one actually revisited the site where he had his encounter. And because, you know, I was going fishing there already. Why not go ahead and record it? So has your dad had an encounter with the dog man as well? I want to say yes and I want to say no. When I was still living with my parents when I was 
25, I just got my first, you know, real good job out of college because I graduated right in the middle of that recession in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So I was still living at home for a little bit. But my son had, well, still has, he's an ancient dog at this point, but he had a little Westminster Terrier. And my dad said, hey, there's coyotes trying to get this dog while we're away. Keep an eye out and make sure nothing gets it. I was like, well, how do you know that? He's like, well, I saw these German Shepherd type ears stick up and they were black. I'm like, well, that's not a coyote. This little subdivision we lived in, it was kind of in its own little forest. It was basically named after the forest they bulldozed to make the subdivision, but there was still this ring of forest around it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think a lot of it until I got to hearing about this and got to looking into it. I was like, well, are there black coyotes? Of course, there is a thing called coy dogs where coyotes and domestic dogs interbreed, and that can happen. He said he saw these black ears sticking up, and these were some tall weeds. I mean, it was an old abandoned cattle field. If a person walked into them, they would disappear. Yeah. I mean, he passed away in 2016. I never really thought to ask him anything further about it. I don't want to call it a dogman sighting, but I also don't want to say it definitely wasn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially if the grass is that tall. Yeah, because I mean, it was goldenrods, rose bushes, amaranth, all kinds of different stuff back in that field. So, I mean, I never saw anything while I was living there before I moved out on my own. But it was also the woods that, like I said, I've been stomping around in my whole life. That's where I got my start time I was three, four years old, I was running around back there in the little creek nearby and generally building little forts and want to be survival shelters. I never saw anything like that there myself, but Yeah, it doesn't mean that they weren't there, I suppose. It could have been like you say, you don't want to say it was and you don't want to say it wasn't sort of thing. And of course he's no longer with us, so I can't follow up and say, hey, can you tell me more about it? I wish I had thought to at the time, but I hadn't really dove into the research before he passed away. Yeah. But it's, so, it's one of those things, it's an area that's I guess as a crow flies about eight miles where I lived I was a child between there and where I had that second bunch of encounters. So, I mean, who knows if they're a biological creature, they were always there. It is strange because like we were talking before, there's some people believe there's a paranormal side to them. There's some people believe they're extra dimensional. Some people believe they're just sort of like the Sasquatch, where they're like a lost species that people have just simply forgot about. And the more we expand our civilization and 
the places we live, the more we're sort of like encroaching into their space and that's why maybe it could explain people are seeing them a lot more now because we're actually moving further and further into these forests that previously were probably mostly unexplored. I don't really have an opinion on the paranormal aspect of it. I never saw anything that I would call paranormal surrounding any of my encounters. Yeah. When I see someone report that, and I'm deciding whether or not to put it on the map, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Because many people have reported the exact same things independently. And I mean, just because I didn't see it doesn't mean they didn't see it. That's true. But I, I try not to make a value judgment because, like I said, with that map, it's just trying to find patterns. You just record the data and let it speak for itself. Don't get in its way and don't try to push any specific conclusion. It's kind of what the scientific method is. You come up with a hypothesis, you do an experiment, in this case, mapping encounters that are believable. You observe the data and see if it matches. I think a trap a lot of people in this field fall into. They start with a conclusion they want to push, and that kind of taints the data they collect. Yeah, they'll work back the way rather than starting at the beginning and working towards the end. Right. Because I want to let the data do the talking. I, yeah, I could say, oh, they're completely animalistic. They run in packs. They follow exactly this pattern. And if I'd have gone into it doing that, I mean, that really would have tainted what I include on the map. And that's, I don't know, that's, it's weird to say, but cryptozoology, is considered a pseudoscience and yeah I realize I'm trying to apply the scientific method to something that's not considered scientific but I mean to give it any legitimacy you have to play by science's rules yeah I mean fair enough people might not believe that dogmen exist but all you're doing is mapping what you think are genuine encounters that you've deemed good enough to go on the map, so you can still apply that practition of the scientific method to all the stuff that you're collecting. Otherwise you could just end up with lots of stuff on there and wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, because there's a real danger of falling into just hearing what you want to hear. <laughs> Believe me, if wanted to hear only what I want to hear I would you know learn that these things aren't real that would be a huge relief to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I didn't ask for that encounter if it was up to me I would just be blissfully unaware still doing what I'm doing which I guess with some encounters being deadly yeah it would put me at some risk but I would much rather have had it not happen I think a lot of people think along those lines after they've seen one of the dogmen, they, they'd rather just remain blissfully unaware that they exist. Yeah, because I didn't even believe in Sasquatch. Like, I thought, yeah, it's not possible that there's a, a 
upright, ten foot tall hominid in the U.S., Canada, that actually across the world that eh, we just haven't really ever documented. Like, how's it hiding out there? But just, and I don't deal with Sasquatch research much. It's kind of free of what I do, but I've, I've come to realize, like, yeah, that's, that's a good case that. Sasquatch and whatever they call it everywhere else is real too. Because it's just the bulk of reports that people give. And just, like I said, while I'm doing this mapping project, there are patterns amongst them. Yeah, well, as they say, there can't be smoke without a fire, so if all these encounters are coming from all over the world, not just isolated places, coming from people like doctors, judges, your common man, common woman, they come from all walks of life. So it's not as if it's this certain type of person that's making up the stories all the time, but they're happening all over the world from all different walks of life. So there has to be some truth to these people all having the same experiences in all different places. And there's been reports of both Dogman and Sasquatch Type creatures on every continent except Antarctica. It's a worldwide thing. I know we had talked a little bit about reports in the UK and over in your neck of the woods. I kind of let you know about some of those, but even they're like, they're very clustered in where they come from. Yeah, I've heard a couple. Um from the UK. I've only ever heard of one in Scotland, which strangely happened around three miles away from where I live. Um, Well, you would think, because you think of American Werewolf in London, that famous line, beware of the Moors. If people were just making stories up, they would probably concentrate in Scotland just because of that. Yeah, well, like I say, I've only ever heard one encounter from Scotland, um, and it was very close to where I live. Um, the majority of the ones that I have heard from the UK seem to be more down in England. Um, but I did hear one researcher say that Scotland would be an ideal place for it, just because I think there's only like six million people live in Scotland, so there's so much empty space. Um, but like I say, I've only heard the one from up here. Whether people just don't want to talk about them or they're just not reported. Um, I've just heard the one. Yeah, the only... Especially the big cluster, I forget where it's at in England, but they call the creature Old Stinker, I think. That's <laughs> one where... I mean, there's a lot of sightings over the years, and we have areas like that over here, like Montgomery Bell State Park down in Tennessee, which is also within the scope of this map. I mean, you have reports of something like that over decades. In fact, here, dating back to the 1800s. And I mean, there's a lot of weird encounters, not just in that state park itself, but in the surrounding area. It's one of those that expands into one of those bands that I was you about earlier on that map yeah you do have these bands of sightings they're very clustered together 
some reason, in every part of Kentucky except the far eastern part, they go from northwest to southeast or southeast to northwest. I don't know which direction they travel in, if it's a migration thing or just territories. But the sightings are all clustered very close together. And, I mean, there's a gap that's two or three times wider than the cluster of sightings in between each band. And, I mean, in between those bands, it's almost like a desert of sightings. It's really strange. But at least your maps give some sort of idea that these encounters are all sort of related in the, the same general area. They're not just like randomly dotted throughout the county or whatever. They all seem to follow a pattern, which is quite interesting. Yeah, because I'm actually looking at the map now and I will share a link with you to that so people can take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Or listen to this podcast. I mean, there is there's a provisional band in the far western edge of the state. It's small, but it's also pretty close to the land between the lakes area that we discussed. Yeah. Which, a lot of activity there that's clustered close together. And then the next one, it's, see, I can pull out the ruler on Google Maps and see how far apart they are in miles. Give me just a second. At the closest point, about 40 miles, and these bands are, yeah, about 15 miles across, but the gap between them is about 40 to 45. And I've identified, I guess provisionally, the one, two, three, four, five, six. And then there's a seventh little pocket up, you know, in southwestern Ohio. I'm just waiting to see what it's going to join with. But, yeah, five or six bands all across the state of Kentucky, which is pretty long going east to west. And they're mostly in a northwest to southeast trajectory. I have looked into different directions with it. Like, I've tried to map Indian burial mounds and how they match up, mm-hmm. which there is some correlation there. A lot of the sightings tend to happen near those, which goes back to the supernatural thing. But I'm not going to put those on the public map because looters happened and I mean, just out of respect for the people buried there. I had to do a lot of research to find some of these. Yeah. I mean, you just don't want to share archaeological sites because people do crap like go loot and junk like that. Yeah. I've also I tried correlating Sasquatch sightings. There are some patterns like but it's nothing really conclusive. There are a lot of Sasquatch sightings in the same areas as Dogman encounters but some are full of Sasquatch sightings and no Dogman sightings. I've kind of abandoned that, but one theory I have been looking at, because another researcher mentioned it, is actually following waterways. Because we have a lot of rivers that flow through Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The bands actually really do match up with those. I mean, it would make sense. 
where I had that first encounter, it was right along the Green River, and there's a very clear pattern that really follows one of the bands along not just the Green River, but also the Salt River. And they tend to follow these little tributaries of the Ohio River, which is the northern outline of this state. And of course, land between the lakes, it follows both the Kentucky River and the Cumberland River. I mean, all wild animals need water sources, and then the, the thing is as well, if they're following the water sources, then it means other games also fall in the water sources, so they're always going to be around food sources as well as the water sources, so it would make sense that they sort of follow rivers and lakes and stuff like that, because they're always going to be maintained to what they need to survive. That makes a lot of sense, and that's especially why I'm like, you know, they're probably a biological entity. But, and I think historically there's some evidence to back that up, because like I said, that first encounter I had along the Green River, about five miles away from that exact location, they call it a pictograph, but it's basically rock art, kind of like a cave painting. Mm-hmm. A figure in one of those cave paintings where it's basically a bright animal with the same kind of ears I mentioned. And I can share that with you so you can, I guess, share it with everyone else who's listening. But that was one of those things where I was going back looking through basically academic texts and finally <laughs> just stumbled across it. And that pictograph is dated to, I think, about. I'd actually have to pull it up and look. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say 2,000 to 3,500 years ago. So that kind of leads me to believe that, you know, the natives who were here before they were basically invaded saw the same kind of thing in the same areas. Yeah. <clears throat> Makes you wonder that they've always known about them, and then there's some people have even equated it to, like... Egyptians worshipping Anubis. It just makes you wonder if these types of creatures have always been around. And back in the olden days, olden civilizations, obviously they wouldn't have had the ability to hide them like we do now with governments and stuff like that, just denying outright that they exist. Um, it just could be something like that. Back back in those days, everyone lived basically out in the wild before civilization really developed. So it would make sense that these older civilizations were probably more used to having them around than what we are. Yeah, well, even more recently, like there's this isn't necessarily Kentucky. It's kind of in the periphery of what I look at. But there's a place called Germantown, Ohio. Like I said, is in that southwestern corner of Ohio near Kentucky. And I mean, there have been reports of these kind of creatures for well over 150 years, and people are still reporting it today. Nowadays, they call it the Butter Street Monster. And there's a lot of weird things about that, too. Like, there's a wildlife management area that local law enforcement will chase you away from it. And, I mean, you hear of new sightings there. It seems like every single year has one. 
I mean, I, I personally think government knows about this sort of thing. I, th I think they have to. I would say they do too, but there are a lot of economic interests they're probably trying to protect. You think of all the people and how much money they spend doing outdoor recreation, like boating, fishing, swimming, camping, whatever. And then things like the logging industry, general tourism. If they came out and said, hey, there's a 10 to 12 foot tall upright walking canine every now and then, it kills people. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, a lot of places we discussed this before, especially places like Land Between the Lakes that really depend on that outdoor tourism. They would shut down overnight. I totally agree with you on that point. It probably has a lot of vested interest financially and losing out money tourist industries. Like you say, the logging companies. Would it then become an environmental problem because it would be seen as destroying a creature's habitat? Would you have like people like animal rights now advocating to stop all these forestry jobs and stuff like that because they've realised there is actually creatures in there that we never knew about. So it could open up like a whole can of worms, I think, if they were to just come out and be like, you know what, we've known about them for a long time, they are real, and we're just now telling you sort of thing. Yeah, especially with these encounters that turn out to be deadly. Of course, we had talked about one in central Kentucky where a 13-year-old boy was actually observed by family members being attacked by some unknown canine creature, as they called it. But then he was found after the search party finally got to him. They had searched the area before. When they went back again, they found him. So it was something... Not only large enough to carry this kid 300 feet up a mountain, it was also smart enough to leave his body behind in a place they had already searched. And it's pretty easy to find a lot of different opinions on it on YouTube and online. I'm, like I said, I'm neutral toward every option. But it's just the. And some witnesses come from that I'm on the fence about believing but the way the authorities have basically told people to shut up and local people won't talk about it including the boy's family I mean there's something there I don't want to speculate as to exactly what it is because I don't know I mean but surely someone knows but they're keeping their lips shut about it I think one of the strangest encounters that I actually heard was from a gentleman who had encountered one in the forest and he called his local chief of police because it absolutely terrified him. And he says within like a couple of hours, the chief showed up with all these men in black tinted vehicles and they asked him um, what had happened and where the encounter took place. Um, they asked for all his like memory cards from his trail cams that he had, so they took all of those. And then he said, the strangest bit for me was, he says that they brought out this briefcase that they opened, and like this sort of little portable satellite came out of it. 
and they pointed it towards the tree line and he says as soon as they activated it his dog started to like convulse and have a seizure and he actually said he was wrestling with the men to switch it off because he says his dog was in pain from whatever sound this thing was producing and so they eventually switched it off and he says a few of the men went into the forest and they came back out maybe like 20 minutes later packed all their gear up and he'd said to them listen what, what's going on here why what's happening am i going to get my stuff back because it took his memory cards and everything they're like yeah you'll hear from us like in a couple of days and he says he just was never ever contacted by them again he never got his stuff back he wasn't told what was going on and it was only through listening to other people's descriptions that he'd figured out it was probably a dog man that he'd seen and that this was some sort of government agency that come to track it. So I think that's one of the weirdest ones that I've heard. Yeah, I haven't heard that particular one myself. But I have spoken with some other researchers who said if you if they know that you're associated with this field and you set foot in certain areas, you will be harassed. It's not just Fish and Wildlife and the National Park Service, it's even local and county police. So, I, I definitely think there's something there. Exactly what it is, I don't know. I do know people in some of these agencies. I want to say I'm not brave enough, but I also want to say I'm not foolish enough to ask about it. Yeah. Because that's why I go by a screen name. I don't told you I don't release my full name exactly where I live I want to keep I guess the best way to put it I want to keep my research and my private life separate not just for the sake of the research just to keep from having any retaliation yeah well you don't want to end up on their radar to the point where you get harassed every time you go to somewhere where they think you're either looking for evidence or something so if you know for that other people have had this issue because they're known to the, the police and the local authorities. It's like you don't want to put yourself through all that trouble of getting harassed every time you go to certain areas. Anyone I know who works for those agencies, I say nothing to them about it. Even if I think, yeah, they might tell me something. I mean, why would I risk it? Because if they do know something, and this is the behavior that happens. I guess they're legally obligated to not say anything and then report it. And it wouldn't just bring it back on me. If they did stick their neck out and say, yes, this is what's going on, that would put them at risk too. Yeah. So that's, it's an avenue I've considered, but after thinking about it, no, it's, it's not worth it for several reasons. No, and I would agree with you on that. It's, it's something that you're doing because of what happened to you. You're just trying to figure out as much as you can because you've went through an experience yourself. You don't then want to go and add another layer by becoming visible to these agencies that are probably doing their best to hide it. So I can totally agree with why you would just rather keep everything private. And a lot of encounters over the past especially the past couple of years a lot of the really detailed and outlandish ones are from people who supposedly work for these agencies and I mean, 
just speaking with other researchers and the way that it's treated, like, yeah, that's... I'm going to be skeptical out of these people who are supposedly employed by these agencies. I mean, they're they're not going to put their careers at risk to, you know, do an interview on YouTube or something. That's why I'm really careful about those. And I tend to not, not necessarily disbelieve them, but I take them with a grain of salt the size of a salt lick for a cow. I mean, it could be that they're purposely given such outlandish, unbelievable encounters as a form of disinformation. So that when someone does give a real encounter, they hear these really bizarre ones and think, oh God, they're all crazy. Could be they're doing it on purpose. I tend to keep conspiracy theories away from the research I do, but it's just from speaking with other researchers who I know are telling the truth and who actually know a lot more than me. That's another one of those common threads, like the federal, state, and local agencies, they don't want people looking into this. And I'm not going to say it's some grand, you know, lizard people conspiracy or anything like that, but I mean, there's something there. It's just, you have to be really careful with conspiracy theories because you can really go off on a tangent. Yep. Just lose a trail. So have you got any more encounters or? Uh, there's a few odd situations I've been in that I won't say are encounters because I have even less information to go off of or to go off of on what it was I was coming across like one night camping on my family's land someone was walking around didn't see it thought it might be a person shot at it actually heard something hit flesh when I shot but then it kept walking shot again and as it turns out, there was no blood there. Stuff like that, I don't want to call an encounter because I have no idea what it was. Yeah. Weird stuff. I, I mean, there are a few cases like that, but I'm not going to go into them because it's really up in the air even to me what it was. So I don't want to call those encounters. Because I do try to, I guess, have some precision on what's being talked about. Yeah, that makes sense. It could have been any number of different things, so I don't want to call it that. Yeah, that makes sense. As far as my encounters, since we moved from that duplex, of course, it's only about eight miles away childhood home where I mentioned my dad possibly having that encounter. It's close to midway between the two locations, like where I had that large batch of sightings with that one particular dog man and where I live now. But since I've moved here, I haven't had any sightings. I mean, you will hear a pretty strange howl, but I would largely attribute it to coyotes or someone's dog. Yeah. So, luckily, since I've been here, I haven't seen one again, and I hope to keep it that way. 
<laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm not the field researching type. I'm perfectly happy to be a button. I think I would be the exact same. I think I'd be quite happy going onto my porch every night and not having to see one of those creatures standing across the road just watching me for its own fun. So I'm kind of glad that where you are now it's quiet and you can actually just take your time to research stuff without having to worry that is there one creeping around at night when you're asleep or is there one there basically just watching you from the shadows, so it's good that you're in a quiet area now. Well, and I always hear people say, oh yeah, I want to have an encounter with one, and everyone who's actually had one is like, no, you do not. Do not wish that upon yourself. Yep, yeah, I'm always a bit dubious when someone says I want to have an encounter, and I'm like, have you heard what these people go through when they have one, and you want to put yourself through that? I'm like, that's just insane to me. I'm quite happy listening to the stories, even reporting them but if I was to honestly run into one of those things in real life I don't think I'd, I'd leave the house for months yeah, of course the damage is still there I still don't go backpacking in the areas I used to and I guess the compromise I reached with myself because I wasn't going to let these things bully me out of doing what I love completely mm-hmm. I'm still going to go out there but I'm definitely going to keep what I know in mind. Yeah, and that's just smart. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's just kind of the healthy balance that I arrived at on my own. Like, yeah, I might run into one again. I'm not going to avoid the places I love to go to. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense, like, when people say, you know... If it really wanted to get you, it could have, especially your first encounter because you couldn't actually see it, it was in the dark, you could just hear it. If it really did want to cause harm to you, it could have very easily done it. And then you have to think of it the same way as like some people that have had encounters, they're maybe in, telling their story when they're maybe in their 60s or 70s. And they've only had one encounter their whole life and they've spent most of their life in the forest. So it can just be that one time where you've been really unlucky and you've stumbled across one. Of course, you've had it twice. But most people just tend to have one and that's it. So you have to kind of put it in perspective with like the amount of time you've been on this earth to the amount of times you've actually came across one. The chances are probably really, really high that it could ever happen again. But at the same time you've still got that in the back of your mind. It's happened before, it can happen again. So you're always, like you say, got your head in a swivel and just making sure that you've got all your bases covered and that you know what's going on round about you, wherever you are. Well, there is this notion in the community, like, they're drawn to certain people. I don't know how much I believe it. I mean, the fact that I've had multiple experiences, I guess should lead me to believe that but like I said I'm trying to be agnostic about what's what when dealing with these creatures like I don't want to say they're supernatural personally I believe they're a flesh and blood creature and I don't attribute anything supernatural to them myself based on what I've seen but with the number of encounters that some supernatural element to it and the way that they all have a lot of commonalities I can't discount it 
Yeah, I think I'm like you. I'm more on the fence as to to believe there are more flesh and blood. Um, maybe it just so happens there are other things out there that are similar in appearance that maybe aren't flesh and blood, like the people that claim they can move at exceptional speeds and they turn into a blur and they just move so fast. It might just be that there's two completely different elements going on here where you do have like a flesh and blood creature and then maybe just something else that's similar but it's not of the same variety if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, because you do have the different types. You have the different types of encounters people have. I mean, I don't really try to differentiate between the different categories of them. I just am looking for just the simple answers yeah and I don't think what I'm doing is gonna provide all the answers nothing one single person does is gonna give them all to us that's what I'm kind of trying to set up I don't want to say I want it to be a community but I want it to be a some people already do this in this community some are really good about it like the cryptid studies institute does really good work it's I want to get away I guess from the sensationalism of it and look at the data yeah and just let it speak for itself that makes sense and I mean that's with anything like even with Sasquatch yeah you can get millions of clicks and views having some sensationalized story something that's not truthful and you're not betting people and you're letting stuff slide through without at least trying to filter it somewhat it only muddies the waters and people aren't going to know the truth because you've got all this false data basically poisoning the well yep that's very true well, that's kind of what I'm trying to do now that I'm getting back into the field I mentioned that case in central Kentucky where a 13 year old boy was killed after I started looking into that, I'm like, it's time for me to get back into it. Because I'd actually stepped away from the community as a whole for the past few years. But after really looking into that, I'm like, all right, it's it's time. Time to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, because I have kind of maintained that map, but I guess I just hit that critical threshold where I kind of got tipped over the edge and said, Hey, yeah, it's time to get back into it and see what happens. Well, like I said, I'll put the links to your YouTube channel in the show notes of the podcast when it goes live. Um, so people can come and check you out. And obviously the more work you do and build up, um, like I was saying to you before, even if people hear this a few months down the line, it'll still be there and they can come and check your channel out. Um, yeah someone especially in the area of Kentucky and around it it doesn't necessarily have to be Kentucky itself if they have an encounter they want to pass along to me like in private or you know on a stream I do in the future either way I don't care I'd love to hear from them because like I said the more data we have you know the more we can see the correlations yeah I'll have to get to that on my stuff. I don't want to clog up your airtime by pushing my stuff too much. So <laughs> That's alright. 
I'm just so happy to have spoken to someone um, personally that's had an encounter because I've spent the past couple of years just listening to them and like I say this podcast's fairly new and it was it's just so exciting to actually have somebody on talking about something that I'm really really interested in and also really terrified of so um, thanks for your time and your stories and I'll put all your details in with the podcast so they can come and check you out Um, but yeah again thanks for telling your stories and doing your research hey it's not a problem like anyone who's actually dealt with these things it's subject I could talk on and on about for hours without stopping Well, that story certainly was interesting. Thanks to everyone who hung around to listen to it. If you do enjoy this podcast, please like, share it on any platform that you listen to it on. The bigger the audience, the more we can grow. So again, thank you very much if you stuck around to listen to this interview. And thank you to CK for coming on and sharing his experiences. So until next time, unpleasant dreams.